So we just got back, we saw this about 24 hours ago, so it's had a little bit of time to sink in. That's right. Obviously sequel to the critically acclaimed The Shining. A movie uh, everyone loves. Everyone loves, to varying degrees. Uh, Stephen King wrote a, a sequel novel to The Shining in 2013. It was optioned by Warner Brothers, who made the original Shining. And now directed by Mike Flanagan of the House on Haunted Hill fame, which I have not seen because I do not care. Yep. So. Although, although people say it's a it's a very well put together horror, almost like instant horror classic, unlike Doctor Sleep. So. <laughs> yeah. Go. I, I spread my net wide with this one, wider than I normally do in terms of like idiot reviewers and non-idiot reviewers. Mm. Because I really wanted to see what people thought about this film. What I personally uh, enjoyed so much about some of the positive reviews is that they all said the same thing. And the same thing was so sycophantic and like missed the goalposts by just like such a wide margin. They all said it's this excellent, you, you know, they said it was this great marriage between the Stephen King vision for... The Shining book and the sequel book, Doctor Sleep, and also the Stanley Kubrick movie, The Shining, and never has a more untrue statement been issued in such a widespread manner on on a film, in my opinion. I think it's really entertaining. Yeah, I would personally like to offer every person who said that a jewel. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Eat and we'll work from there. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna tell you what we think of the movie and if we recommend, and then we're gonna go into some wider context. I mean, as you might gather from the fact I'm willing to duel people who sycophantically praise this movie, I... (laughs) was not its biggest fan. Yeah. However, in a twist, I would probably still recommend you go see it. I think it's, especially if you like The Shining, worth, worthy of consideration. I, I don't think it's unlikely that someone could really like it, and I would mm. disagree with you, but I think it's worth I think it's worth watching. I think it's more so than most of these cash-ins. It is, maybe don't watch it in the cinema if you get bored in the cinema. It's two uh, and a half hours long, and it feels every minute. It's an absurd runtime. So not only would I say watch it, I would, I mean, it, it all depends on your kind of general disposition. I would recommend that someone see this in the cinema because I thought it was so entertaining. Now, I need to be clear, in that this is a bad movie that fails in several ways, but also it's ju- it's just so batshit, and it, it it's even fun. See, see, we've done these soft reboots before, and they're quite tedious. And we did one last week, you know, this new Terminator movie where they do these really hollow callbacks to classics that you love to try and get you to like this new movie, and you never do. And it's always a very tedious experience. Now. Doctor Sleep has that same problem, but the road that led to its creation is so much more fraught, and it involves a real auteur, you know, Stanley Kubrick. It's not like it's trying to ape, I don't know, like, no no disrespect, but like George Lucas or a James Cameron sci-fi movie, that it creates this perfect storm of high art and vandalism and banal Stephen King-isms and I was elated when we left it because it was a really unique fuck-up and that's yes I mean that's my advert for Doctor Sleep it's a full fucking swing I'll give I'll give them that like (laughs) if any addendum to that is that Hugh McGregor is great if he if he if he'd done this performance in a different film and that wasn't trying to be a sequel to the shining and had none of that attached i think it'd be probably one of the better horror film performances i've ever seen you know what if, if you are a millennial you grew up with ewan mcgregor even if you didn't realize it mate you're jones in for some ewan mcgregor back on screen and that so that, that was kind of largely what motivated me to see this and you said so as well it was like great ewan mcgregor is back in movies 
his affair is over, the divorce is settled, yep. he's alone, he needs cash, we're going to see him in some blockbusters. I mean, like, fuck, man, if, you, if you'd approached me, like, you know, even five years ago and said Ewan McGregor's going to play the fucking kid from The Shining, yeah. which I didn't realise until the day that I saw the film, and that was, that was deeply upsetting. I have so... accepted it now. That's as much as you're getting for Doctor Sleep for us for now. I will put, put in the timestamp when we start talking about Doctor Sleep again, if you're only interested in Doctor Sleep, we'll discuss it. Will, this, it will be in the description. We will get down to talking about The Shining, so if you're interested in The Shining, then feel free to keep on listening, because I think this, um, yeah, this is a, a fascinating production story, and again, there's just a lot to unpack on all four mediums, or four pieces of art that this touches, so you've got yep. The Shining the film, The Shining the book, Doctor Sleep the film, Doctor Sleep the book, and the two men behind them all. What is your opinion on The Shining? It embodies Kubrick's ability, in this case, The Shining is both a completely functional, mysterious horror movie, and then also reaches some quite lofty aspirations with regards to subtext. He never ever hits you over the head with that subtext. He just doesn't do it. it, it I think it's really impressive that the movie can survive without its subtext. So yeah, I, it, it's both high art, Kubrick, complex piece of cinema, and also just a fun, scary, unsettling horror movie. And that that's what I think is the just the real magic of that Stanley Kubrick movie. I I, I definitely like it less than you do. I think it's it's good. I think it moments it really hits gr- greatness, and I think overall it's one of the more engaging horror films I've ever seen. But hmm. I don't know something about it, and I don't know if it was that start off in the Stephen King base, even though he did abandon like loads of it. Like hmm. something never quite sat right with me about it. And bearing it right. again, I haven't I haven't seen it for a long time, like probably since I was like 21, 22. And like you said, I mean, you said before we started recording, like as a teenager you. You were not as keen on it so i wonder if perhaps i was still in that stage something yeah something something about it like i've always obviously appreciated it as iconic i think it's really like i did really like you know all the performances everything about it but for some reason i never it was never this sort of like instant classic masterpiece that like you know like people like I've, I've, the amount of reviews i've listened to about dr sleep right where the reviewer says the shining is their favorite film ever is quite yeah. in, is quite incredible disingenuous i think it must be i mean it's I not, re- it's not I re- by the way it's not in my top 10 or my top 20 or anything i just think it's a really excellent movie <laughs> But mm. and you know, even if you said it was in your top five films, I'd still respect that. But that's what I mean. Like it's just the the sheer volume of people and again I, people do this with all the Kubrick films rightly or wrongly he will get put on this weird pedestal that like just sometimes I don't I don't think is really there in, in the film itself there are people again like, there's a fucking one reviewer guy who said he watches The Shining every three months I was like that's insane <laughs> like mm. fuck that Ooh, guy <laughs> I tell you what no I, I will say this this is this is the other thing that I really like about The Shining though and this it links in kind of with the sycophants but more importantly it links in with the psychopaths because The Shining has a special effect on people where it attracts maniacs and makes them think that they're seeing things in the movie that aren't there and that again is a a weird allure of Stanley Kubrick and this Uh. is this is codified and proved in a documentary movie called Room 237. I actually and I would... watched most of that today. Yeah, well, it Did worked. you? But yeah, no, I watched most of it. <laughs> fucking insane. That's I, exactly. I, the, the fucking, like, as soon as he, like, fucking, the guy starts talking about the fucking Holocaust. And he's like, oh, the number 42 is very important. And the typewriter, the German typewriter and number 42 is very important because that means they decided to do the Holocaust. The fuck are you talking about? Now, see, the, this is, the thing is, is I, I believe that the movie has some to do with or, or at least leaves the door open for having something to do with native american supernatural revenge i yep. do believe that but everything else that so that's the most legitimate thing that they have in room 237 but 
Room 237 was a very well well reviewed movie in at least England and then I threw it on one night and I was fucking bevved up it was like 20 minutes in the penny dropped and I was like these people are fucking crazy and they talk about how when someone goes to shake Jack's hand there's a file of papers behind the guy that looks for a moment like an erection and it doesn't it's just a line and then like you say they they say it's some kind of admission that you faked the moon landing because Danny Torrance has a, an Apollo 11 uh, jumper on, and it's oh, just like... There's also it, the, the, the the fact he changed the room number is the other yes. one, isn't it? Yeah, so they, he changed it from 217 to 237, because sometimes, not always, but sometimes the distance from the moon is 237,000 kilometers. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes it's 2040, because you know what? The moon moves a lot. <laughs> Do you want to know what else? Do you know, want to know why it's that room number? Because the lodge they filmed it in, they wanted it to be a fake room number. They didn't want it to be the number that was in... I, ah. think, I believe in the novel because of they course. thought it would deter visitors. Yeah, of course. And the would. irony is, is that actually the you know the fake number is the one that everyone requests. And as well with the Apollo uh, Eleven thing, within their conspiracy theories, there is actually a much more plausible explanation, which is that. I appreciate that nothing gets into a Stanley Kubrick movie without meaning something. So let's say that the jumper means something. And in this situation, if it's about, you know, if there's a subtext regarding Native Americans, then the Apollo 11 is surely just about boundary breaking, frontiers, and manifest destiny. It's not that he faked the moon landing. <laughs> <laughs> no, definitely. It was... Fucking psychos. That was fucking mad. I, I had no idea. Because I was like, obviously I was like doing some research. And again, I assume none of the stuff I'm going to say in this review is anything that people haven't come up with before. Like, you mm. know, it's a couple of days worth of shining research whereas I'm sure people have been thinking about this film for decades. Yes. But like, yeah, I was like, oh, look, you know, there's a documentary. Some people seem to like it. You know what actually made me decide to put it on in the end was the fact that Stephen King hated it. I was like, perfect. Anything nice. that Stephen King hates is a friend of mine. But lo and behold, <laughs> sometimes the enemy of your enemy is not your friend. <laughs> is not it is, your a, friend. is a violent psychopath with his dick out. and <laughs> You yeah. shouldn't go around his house. As a, as a closer on Room 237, I would highly recommend watching it just to substantiate what I've said because I, I do think that there's just something about the weird repeating hexagonal patterns in The Shining that attracts a certain kind of loony and just makes them think that the movie's speaking to them and that they're, they're fucking nuts. They're mad. I, I, I genuinely don't believe what I saw and I would recommend that as well. I'd recommend that before you watch fucking Doctor Sleep, actually. <laughs> so yeah, The Shining. Again, a strange confluence. Sandy Kubrick had no real attachment to the book as far as I can tell, having listened to the interviews. Like, he just picked up. He was randomly going through books. He mm. then really, like, dug the vibe of the book but, again, found aspects of it to be highly suspect and... One of the reasons he always loved to adapt books is because he got to read it as an audience member and then, yes. much like we do, propose edits to it. But unlike us, he was a incredibly successful and intelligent filmmaker and thus managed to make good films off the back of that. That's a great system. And it means that, unfortunately for Stephen King, he doesn't need to necessarily respect everything in the book that he's adapting. Yep. I mean, I personally think that nearly everything The Shining does that's different yes. from the book is better than what's in the book, from, yes. from my understanding of the book. And I assume you'll agree. Yep. Yeah, no, I do. I mean, I, I, it's perfect. It, the situation is perfectly simple full respect extended to Stephen King because he writes some great stories that I have really enjoyed their adaptations and that has to come from somewhere but he's also kind of a he's like a pulp writer he, ju he just writes until he slumps over his typewriter he's like fucking L. Ron Hubbard as much as he might rate The Shining I'm afraid to some of us it really is a, a lot of his a lot of his work it is disposable and for that reason, when someone like Stanley Kubrick comes and picks it up, listen, I'm afraid, you know, some harsh truths. He's 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 a he's a different kind of artist, and he is gonna hack liberally at what he finds. Stephen King was not a fan of that at all, and he's been he's he's been so bitter about it that 
he's he remade The Shining as a terrible TV series. He's been rallying against it for ages. But then also conversely says that while he dislikes what he'd done to his book in the adaptation, separate to that, it's a horror movie he enjoys. He's been very contradictory on this subject. Agreed. Well, I think it's because he really enjoys the prestige of having his yes. name in next to, you know, a Kubrick film that is The Shining. But he also is really annoyed because... And again, I was looking into this. So one of the real, really interesting things he said about Doctor Sleep, the book, um, and mm. then consequently the film, was that he said it's the true story, the true history of the Torrance family. So I think what would happen, and I can kind of understand this, I, I would be annoyed if the definitive versions of my characters were something that I hadn't made and didn't like. And I could imagine that would really grate at me. And if I was a petty man, I might make a sequel and push for a film about the sequel to try and correct some of those things. The, now, the, the, this is the seed. This is kind of where the strange hilarity of Doctor Sleep, the movie adaptation, makes birth. And it's in Stephen King's inability to reconcile the fact that his story is famous because of the changes that some else made to it as a, as a quick thing uh, Stephen King said in an interview that I read, watched earlier today that Stanley Kubrick fought too much and felt too little mm. uh, and in response I say that Stephen King feels too much and thinks nothing at all <laughs> um, yep. like it's fucking ridiculous like how dare how bloody dare that man so yeah Doctor Sleep so Doctor Sleep is a classic example of feeling and it, it's basically feeling entitled to the characters that you made obviously like I said there's a number of differences and this film is stuck in ironically almost for a Stephen King book is stuck in this horrible limbo between two authorial sources of which cannot agree with one another it's a child of divorce um, but they're both grinning around the table as, as it yes, happens. Yes, yeah, and pre- yeah, it, that, that's that, that's the really peculiar thing about it is that it pretends everything's it, fine. It, it, <laughs> run, it runs to one parent and says that that's the one they're devoted to, and then it sneaks into the room with the other parent, being dead Stanley Kubrick, and declares its unending devotion. Not only its unending devotion to Kubrick, but also like slanders Stephen King when he's not listening. It's really really funny yeah because it because it, it, it claims to be in the same universe as the, the cinematic universe as the shining which is a terrible sentence that i had to utter yes it doesn't doesn't make me happy at all and <laughs> makes me quite happy <laughs> and it, it report it reports that and the reason it does is in some sort of weird cultural imperialism on the characters of the shining uh, it removes any and all nuance from the shining and because you were never sure in the shining what was going on yeah. you know to quote reservoir digs not sure who's alive not sure who's dead not sure mm. who's caught not sure who's not like you you got no idea what's going on nice. and and it's nice. really beautiful that you don't have a set pov and you don't know what's going on this film answers everything and it does so without any fanfare and it does so in the way that Stephen King wanted it and that's fine but I, I think that was almost the entire purpose of, of this film adaptation was to let Stephen King have the last laugh on these characters on, on the Jack Nicholson character on you know the, the Danny as he appears in the film and Jenny yes. Duval and again like and I think that's why they focus so heavily because again Stanley Kubrick famously did not believe in heaven hell or God Stephen King famously believes in all three and more <laughs> and I think that he really wanted to show and prove that not only were the ghosts real but that there were there were many more ghosts and that there was actually an afterlife and that has now been irreparably stapled on the end of the shining like a albatross around its neck yeah so i mean i I think that he he summed it up very very well i can't tell you exactly why but the fact that this is such a an embarrassing younger brother to the shining doesn't hurt or disappoint me i'd just find it really funny just because as a sibling that you want to keep locked in the attic its antics are so hysterical and so different to what you're used to seeing in the movie that it constantly evokes that i i just can't help but find it very very interesting so i I think i'll 
I'll start with a few things. It, it obviously, it has, the, it has the visuals of The Shining, and I will say that I like the way this movie looks. It's very dark, but it's also very colourful. Its characterization is all over the place, only in a way that, you know, it's an adaptation of a strange novel that has been rewritten because the first draft was so bad. Uh, that was in 2014 with, who was it? Kiva Goldsman. There you um, go. A man whose career I've been following dutifully. He is not he is an Oscar winner and a like quintuple nominated golden raspberry screenwriter his life is an anathema and I hate him <laughs> um he, yeah he wrote a beautiful mind but he also wrote real terrible episodes of teen of um the new titans tv show and just loads of shit I could do an entire bloody episode on uh, um Akiva Goldsman truly ridiculous so he wrote that it was so unpopular that no one would touch what was probably going to be the hottest horror film of any given year that it was released in but then it did really well the two it films that have just come out and mm. and that was Warner Brothers highest banking film of or highest banking horror film of that year and so as such they got someone in to rewrite that terrible Doctor Sleep script that's been banging around for a couple of years and that guy was Mike Flanagan he had the unenviable task quite frankly of managing this, you know, divorcee child. And I, yeah, I think he did pretty well considering. I, d I don't think anyone could have done it better, frankly. That's a, that's some praise, right? I mean, it's got a, it's got the Kingian hallmarks. It's got alcoholism. It's got signposts to a better story all over the place. I'd like to pick up on something. I, I want to uh, just talk broadly about the characterization. Essentially, in the novel itself, I mean, Danny is Dr. Sleep in that he works in a hospice and he gives comfort using The Shining to people who are about to die. And the antagonists in the movie are trying to avoid death for as long as possible at the expense of children with The Shining who they kind of harvest and eat and it's very horrific. Now that's an interesting kind of dichotomy that you have going on there which is spoiled by King himself like he always falls upon his own sword because and I was saying to you in the first scene where he comforts a man who's dying he explains to him not to worry because it will be like going to sleep forever and it will be true rest which I thought worked because that worked with his character being the one about the acceptance of death. However, this is a ghost story and later he tells them all not to worry because life does go on and no no one's ever really gone, which really invalidates it. It, it sucks the tension out of the, the bad guys because I kind of liked what motivated them. They wanted to avoid annihilation. However, we're in a story where annihilation doesn't happen. And yeah. they didn't establish whether or not their attempts to extend their life had actually thwarted any chance of an afterlife, which again might have been an idea. That might have um, been fun. That might have added some tension to the stakes. That, that would have, yep. you know, maybe some, you know, some po poetic, you know, something poetic in that their their strive for life had removed eternal life from them. That might have been nice. But Stephen King didn't think of that. He's a fucking hack. No, exactly. <laughs> and, th and then further, I mean, so there's a character who's called a snake by Andy and she's introduced early on as being a 15-year-old who entraps pedophiles because she hates them. And her character starts with hating adult men, presumably for their perversions, and then ends before, spoilers, she dies by saying men and angrily making a man shoot himself. However, it doesn't make any sense because she uses her powers to punish pedophiles Obviously, this is because they hurt children, and yet immediately joins a coven where immortality, or something close to immortality, comes at the cost of killing and eating children, and this is never reflected upon. Yeah, I can actually um, explain that dissonance. It, it, won't, it doesn't excuse it, but I can explain it. Please do. So, in the book, she um, doesn't or yeah, I don't know if she traps paedophiles or not, but her source of her hatred for men isn't because they're paedophiles; it's because they're men, and she doesn't like men in that typical sort of like very direct Kingsian fashion because she was abused as a child by a man by her father, and so her mission in life is to hurt 
men and she is a lesbian who sleeps with um what's she called mac the hat or whatever yes uh, um rose the hat and um, she was very protective of that hat and we never found out why no and I, again and apparently stephen king was very specific in what the hat's design should be for the film and for no actual reason and that's the sort of weird like micro detail he obsesses about that makes his books have the sort of appearance of depth and sometimes you know like like you said if you read into it actual depth like there's some lovely scenes in this that flesh out the world but never mm. enough to actually make the film you're watching <laughs> you know actually enjoyable but that's why so that's that got a bit lost in translation so they obviously yeah they really focused on the pedophile part and i did think it was really funny that yeah she was so against people ha- wanting to you know have sex with children but perfectly fine with the not only the murder the excruciating torture before murder making sure uh, the murders last as long as possible yeah. yeah absolutely ridiculous but yeah so that's that's why so that character got slightly they all the all the all of the the coven as i will call them because i'm not going to call them the true knot because the film doesn't call them the true knot as far no. as i'm aware so why should i i just um, i mean but... i've i had canon them as the the pedo coven oh already, yeah that, that so. But yeah so yeah the coven it is it, clearly changed a bit and i think it had to change it has to change from the mm. novel because they're really dumb in the novel um i mean they kept the they kept the characterization of people's sort of like death juice as being called steam mm. and described children as being steamy Awful. like steamy kids bring me those steamy kids this was another problem i had with it aaron it's like can we centralize the fucking names please steven because you know danny's like i always i always called it the shining the kids like i call it my magic trick and they're just like we call it the steam yeah because in the, the the shining it makes sense that you don't know what it's called because again in the film the shining everything's really vague and like you know he calls his imaginary friend tony yeah. which again in some dumbass stephen king shit as i found out today tony in the book is actually just danny from the future trying to warn danny from the past about his father his crazy ass father and the hotel mm. which again make, not only makes no sense but actively devalues it also he's just really ineffective as far as i can tell yes <laughs> like if that's what he's actually trying to do he's really fucking up there's like a plurality of different people different names and the coven is sort of i mean it's given what feels like just hours of development in the film and for very little purpose I think, goes nowhere i think we've probably already spoiled the film several times over at this point but spoilers again like everyone <laughs> dies in a shootout and it's actually that's actually a really funny part of the film and it's almost like a really scenes. really good part of the film because you're fighting like this you know imagine the scene you're fighting this evil vampire coven with psychic powers it's like oh what are we gonna do i know we'll literally we'll make a kill zone and just snipe them all <laughs> they just shoot at them with normal guns yeah it just was, two sniper two hunting rifles works so well <laughs> That mark, like it, they, it worked perfectly. <laughs> yeah. They killed, they killed like what, like fucking thousands of years of collective experience yeah. in like a couple of seconds by standing behind trees <laughs> and shooting. I mean, yeah. it's a mi- miracle. Like between that and how Crowboy dies, it's a miracle that they lived through the Roman Empire. Like how the fuck did they pull that? Off? <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna say that this actually marked the last point in the movie where, of all the th- all the bad things I'm saying about it, it was quite entertaining. Not that it was good, but it was entertaining because it was just, it was very like sci-fi channel it was like a weird episode of the x-files and I, I i kind of enjoyed that even though you know i knew that it would inevitably be consumed by shining nostalgia but after that scene was when the movie when you know the filmmakers and all of the conversations that it had in rooms that stephen king wasn't in came to fruition and they were like we need to go back to the overlook now it's important to note that the overlook hotel in the book is burned down and destroyed prior to dr sleep and the final act of dr sleep the novel occurs on the grounds where the Overlook used to be. However, 
In this, they did a strange and pathetic gambit in which we returned to the actual hotel, which was full of some of the funniest moments in a movie I've seen all year, like almost clapworthy, if that wouldn't have been a very strange thing to do, because I think I was having quite a singular experience. I, I but... tried not to laugh for the entire <laughs> like last fifth of this film. The, the, the way that they paid the piper, they paid Stephen King for their blasphemous return into Kubrick territory, is that they did blow up the Overlook Hotel to complete his vision. The circle is now complete, and that fucking whiny little ex-cokehead got what he wanted. I, he's such a piece of shit. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I, I cannot imagine. Like, how old is Stephen King? He's like 70-something, right? Old as fuck, He's 70-something. Yeah. Like you said, he's a fucking ex-cokehead, ex-fucking alcoholic. Man got hit by a fucking van and has written more books than I have fucking bones in my body. <laughs> and yet, the van it cares enough about a book. Yeah, a book he probably spent, like, yeah, like two cocaine sessions writing in the 80s mm. that he was willing to fight you know to to help create a multi-million pound project just so you could burn down a fictional hotel yeah yeah fucking madness this, this is, is the worst excesses of capitalism we, we 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 i know i know it's annoying but like we we can't cover this enough because this movie exists stephen king needed it to happen because he wanted which he to failed by the way yeah like, ex- like... exactly but every the only reason that anyone was ever going to adapt a 2013 stephen king novel that no one fucking read is because of kubrick's movie and by sneaking in trojan horsing in a begging, kubrick sequel begging stephen king he's like please let us use the hotel stephen <laughs> <laughs> it's the only thing anyone <laughs> cares about. It's the only way. <laughs> if we don't have the hotel, I'll just use all the scenes, but in not a hotel. Because <laughs> <laughs> no one else is going to see this otherwise. We need something to put in the trailer, Stephen. Yes. <laughs> we need him to walk up to that door. No. He's going to do it, Stephen. No, he's not. No one will see it if he doesn't walk up to the door, Stephen. Stephen, I've got two graphs. One is a flat line, and it's how many people will see this if he doesn't walk up to the door. And one is really spiky and big and it's made of green money and it's what happens if he walks up to the door <laughs> the, mo- the movie's been bombing by the way that Has is it? the funny part oh yeah. is it oh shit i assume it's d- gonna do really like, it's like bloody blade runner 2049 all over again because yeah. like these sequels supposed to like yeah prestige 80s projects just mm. don't do well well it, i mean it only had a fighting chance it, the point still stands it only had a fighting chance even getting out the gate even getting into production by selling stephen king down the river and that's exactly what they did but i'd like to i'd like to here i I obviously just loved the entire overlook hotel sequence because and i touched on it earlier just as a a very unintentional and entertaining vandalism of a classic property but what did you think about it there's a bit in this in this film where mac the lad walks past the elevator spewing blood yes and she and it was like you know what it reminded me of it reminded me of like scary movie one or two because that 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 scene means so much even to me who like you know isn't the biggest fan of the shining Mm. that scene is so iconic and means so much and it means absolutely nothing to that character and they just walk on by because of course they do and i would love like shorty from those like scary movie films seeing that being like that was fucking weird and just walking off like it it felt it was like a spoof you couldn't write it funnier like it was actually hilarious and i didn't laugh because i felt really bad for the people who were clearly quite engaged with this film and this is why like when i look at these people saying that it's like a worthy successor or that you know like this is like a completion of like what might be one of their favorite horror sagas it's like what fucking film were you watching or how low is your do you just need to see something you recognize because also those two shots weren't shot she was not looking at blood like that was so apparent that that actress wasn't looking at that blood they were like look amused into the camera and we'll juxtapose it 
with the blood. Point of her presence in the Overlook Hotel was to put her in a dangerous situation where there were supernatural powers that even she couldn't handle. So it really fucking punked the movie that they had her walk up and then they did the elevator doors opening and the blood coming out and she looked at it like like a cat had just like just walked into the hallway and done a shit. Yeah. She just walked by. It was it Such was disdain. Like, <laughs> it was like in the Simpsons where they're laughing at the house when it because it can't make the walls bleed. It, it was a spoof. <laughs> by including these and by trying to show respect for the Shining, which I believe they were trying to do, unless they were actually just cashing in, in which case I guess it makes complete sense. They completely shat on so many of the He's like, when I watch The Shining, and when I watch the elevator scene now, I, I'm not going to think of anything <laughs> except the Mac lads, like, looking at it as it fucking spews towards her and she walks away. Thing, when, when they were running around, you know, when the little girl, the psychic little girl, was running around the hotel and looking at all the, the things and the spots and all of the things were happening that you remember. And it was just, it was like the house was like, yeah, motherfuckers, I'm back. And it was goofy. And, it was so goofy. You know, D- Danny, how Danny, like, unleashed all of the ghosts from The Shining as attack dogs on her. It was funny. It, it was it was like some kind of, I don't like even know, like a resolution fiction? to a... What? Yeah, yeah, like fan fiction or, or a resolution to like, like a Saturday morning cartoon. I was giddy. It was when when he gets... It's so convenient. It, it was like perfect. It was a parody of all of these sequels, you know, that come this far later and try and reboot. The, the axe gets him in the leg and then he's holding the axe and running around the mansion limping just like his dad yeah limping just like jack torrance if 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 i thought for a second that this would affect the way that i watched the shining then i would find it awful but luckily i'm just gonna it's just a weird thing that happened in october man we've always we've always had this split where i can't separate yeah uh, pieces of canon and you can and i think that's good i think it's it's nice to have differences and i and like i said i envy you in a way that you probably like find me quite amusing yes. um but I, I i i feel that in like and again i'm yeah i don't want to be melodramatic here like i will watch the shining and i'm sure i'll enjoy it but <laughs> i i will never now not think of so many dumbass things in this film <laughs> and that's upsetting and again just all the mystique is gone to me like everything about that hotel everything about those ghosts and again i i do think the core of this comes down to one director who doesn't believe in god and one writer who does and and one director who believes that things should be implied and one writer who believes things should be explained and and i and i, and I think when that is the, those, those are the you know your two core guiding philosophies and they're both re- responsible for making a film like no wonder it's fucking mad and not mad um, in like a good way <laughs> and here he came to fucking settle the score against a dead man who couldn't fight back yeah it's... exactly uh, but infinitely yeah, an infinitely more prestigious dead man <laughs> that sums up dr sleep in the best way possible and that's what i'm recommending people go and see i recommend they go and see this kind of unwinnable fight between two irreconcilable uh, visions for a sort of similar story and it it didn't annoy me i just i just thought it was amazing (laughs) (laughs) yeah no that's fair and like i said i'm i'm i can't say i'm happy that it exists this time however because it does and because you know much like kubrick i agree life is imperfect i think it's worth consideration and it's interesting again like purely from a creative point a creator's point of view if you're interested in what two very different people who are both very well respected in well yeah it pains me to say stephen king is well respected but he is essentially watch them duke it out for a schlocky horror novella from the 80s good we've been checked for traps (laughs) thanks for listening (laughs) 